Welcome to Status Al Wada. We're here today with another episode of interview with a remarkable person. Lucky to have with me today Dima Yassin. She's not only a friend and a colleague, but a member of Status team and someone who's produced a lot of really remarkable work by way of interviews and, and various other things and writings for Jadalia and elsewhere and has been very impactful in documenting many of the revolutions that are happening in the region. She has just returned from Iraq and it's a unique opportunity to catch up with Dima and to talk to her about her experience there and what this trip has been all about. Welcome Dima, thank you for being on Status. Thank you. Erica. It's difficult to say welcome to status because you are status, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> but nevertheless, it's it's important to talk to our team members and to hear what their reflections of what's happening in the world are. Let's start a while back. Twenty-seven mm. years ago, you left Iraq. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about the circumstances around which you left, why you left, what those situations were like, and, and maybe very briefly, I know it's, it's a long, protracted life experience, but why didn't you return for 27 years? I left like any other Iraqi that left at that, at that point of time um, after the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, since we have lots of Gulf Wars. <laughs> the first Gulf War in 91, um, just at the beginning of, actually we left in 92, just at the beginning of the embargo. And we went to went to in the like the classic Iraqi kind of uh, journey, Jordan and then Dubai and then elsewhere. And I uh, I went to university in Jordan and then I went and worked in Dubai and then you know I lived with my family in various places. Uh, and I didn't I didn't go back to Iraq until until actually in, until until October uh, when the revolution happened. Um, why I didn't go back because um, in Iraq we we have like uh, or between like in the Iraqi community we have this uh, thing that we always t- talk about is about how Iraqis kind of feel like they don't have a home because uh, they kind of lost the home they know uh, because of everything that happened in in a span of like 30 40 years so uh, most of us were were uh, afraid to go back because they, we didn't want to kind of ruin the idea that we had about the country and uh, and because most of us also have all the information from the media and mm-hmm. the media says like the country is just gone and we kind of lost hope because we see it gets uh, further and further in, into chaos uh, but then when uh, when the revolution happened in October it was um, it was one of those moments that not only me, lots of Iraqis who live outside uh, decided to go back. Kind of gave, gave us hope, and we thought that this is a historical moment in the country's historic moment in the country that we need to go and witness. So when I went back, there were lots of people who have been away from from the country for a very long time. And they were there in the in in Tahrir Square and, and elsewhere and, and like mm-hmm. in the protests, just you know witnessing that and being part of it. And even when I came back, there are lots of people who are still there, came from different uh, places, uh, came back from uh, mostly Europe, and some made the trip from Australia, some made the trip from like me from Canada, which is like a really long trip. But it was, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very special moment in history. We, we needed to witness because this is, I think, this is the first real revolution that we have in uh, the Iraqi history. As in like a popular, yes. popular movement? Yeah, yeah. Usually yeah. we had um, coups, we had some, well, they call it revolution, but it's not mm-hmm. really revolution. It's yeah. all like either military coups or some kind of 
political, you know, um, yeah, power. exactly. Yeah. But this is a real like populist kind of revolution. I mean, part of, part of what's amazing about speaking to you right now is that it's against the backdrop of how absolutely horrendous the media has been towards Iraq in general, mm-hmm. both in the region, the Arab press and the, and the television networks and how deeply politicized they are in one way or another. Yeah. But more importantly, the West has effectively stopped covering Iraq and, and yeah. treat it like it's the basket case of problems and therefore it does not warrant or justify any attention. Um, the tiniest incident anywhere in the world mm-hmm. is much more worthwhile than a catastrophe in Iraq. Yeah. And, and human life is expendable. Uh, political upheavals are, are considered of little to no yeah. interest and nobody invests in journalists on the ground to cover Iraq. I want to ask you why it, why that is and I know it's 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 a crappy question but yeah. like but why is that no, and why why is it important to resist that? I think, I think it's a very point. important question but at the same time the answer uh, for that might um, you know coming from an Iraqi it might sound a little bit um, emotional mm-hmm. uh, because um, uh, we do feel it we do feel that uh, there's no representation of, of Iraqis in the media there is no uh, usually we hear about Iraq only when there's a when there's a really like big problem that has something to do with oil or with you know some kind of political agenda in the West otherwise People die and, and, and live, and nobody knows about them. Um, there are, like in my mind, and from what I witnessed throughout my life, I think the main reason is that there are, there are different reasons in different phases of, of, of history, let's say. Um, Iraq has been closed for a very long time. Uh, by Saddam at the, at the beginning of uh, you know and, and, and when he took took over in 79 and uh, the Iraq Iran war started and it was literally closed like there was no no going out or in the country until actually uh, 91 when people started leaving from only the only the only um, open uh, border, borders just with Jordan and then in 2003 the Americans came and uh, you know when the American media covers something they cover it in a very biased way mm-hmm. and uh, they don't talk about um, very rarely talk about lives or a life that mm-hmm. is going going there if they if they are involved in it in a in a in the catastrophic way we 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 witnessed it's ignored because if they open that subject then the blame will will go back to them mm-hmm. and then um, and then people will start wondering what what did they what what did you do how was that country before you you came in so they don't want to go through this they don't want to open these kind of um, black boxes exactly or listen to any Iraqi speak at all exactly, general, like exactly. The Iraqis don't speak. and and everyone wants to keep that stereotypical kind of um, the, the stereotype the stereotype that is not even true that they built and uh, they built and they want to to keep it it's very, very interesting that uh, a revolution like this one has been, and it's a complete, uh, very civil kind of revolution, uh, very peaceful. It's it's a really it's a really remarkable revolution, and it's been going on since October. Uh, now what? It's like five, five, mm-hmm. almost five months, yeah. and it's uh, very rarely 
written about very rarely, like from the mm-hmm. Iraqis are writing now about it, but uh, it's th- there's no coverage about it. Very, it's almost very, like a media blackout. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, you know, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not just the, the media not, you know, not interested in covering it. It's almost like there is a calculated reason not to cover it. Exactly. Um, for the region as well, the regional media yeah. are, are petrified of what it means. Yeah. And the problem is we have two sides of the story. And, and if we're talking about, well, first we have to admit that most of the media that we're dealing with is, is American media. Yeah. So we have two sides of the story. The, the, the right don't want to talk about it because it pulls them into, you know, they only talk about it when uh, something about, like I said, something about the political kind of mm-hmm. on oil and whatever. Uh, it's kind of like a desert with oil, <laughs> you know, yeah. no people in it. And the left doesn't want to talk about it because now you have the Iranian side that's that's involved. And for the left, Iran has so. been always, you can't touch it. It's been always the, the resistance. Yeah, the anti yeah. anti colonial and it's so it's so interesting because it it because you know as someone who believes in in, in the progressive kind of um, the pro- progressive thinking you you feel very uh, left out because you have those people who fight for all like the rights and everything and, and, and all over the world and then they come to Iraq and then they have to choose between the um, the the American imperialism and the resistance which is Iran. But both of them are actually messing up Iraq, mm-hmm. and this revolution is against both of them. So you see them ignoring it completely, mm-hmm. and uh, they focus only one time. They covered it for like CNN covered it for I don't know how long. It's not a protest, even it's a march that uh, Sadr mm-hmm. called for against the, the United Iraq. States yeah. existence and and you know to showcase how yeah and then exactly and, and and also of course the the attack on the on the American mm. uh, American um, embassy in Baghdad which was uh, completely orchestrated by uh, the militias nobody can go no no Iraqi can go into the green zone yeah so unless it's open to them mm. and it was basically open to them and uh, that was covered and they portrayed that as the Iraqi protesters did that, mm. which is completely untrue um the, the, this revolution is not biased to any of these uh, of those two. So so that's so you feel that this is the reason why the media simply, I mean, either are disinterested, or once they know enough about the revolutionary movement, it becomes too dangerous for I anyone to touch. I think it's a sensitive subject to yeah. both of them. I don't think they are. I think there's an intentional ignorance. They ignore it intentionally because it doesn't serve any of yeah. their purposes so which is really interesting that for the first time the right and the left not the first time maybe but 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 for you know one of the few times that the, the right and the left kind of are in the same and the same they, they're uh, in agreement <laughs> they're in agreement about ignoring the whole thing yeah the interesting thing is that you you know you look at the way the middle eastern press covers has been covering the revolution it's impossible for them to completely ignore it but what they do is they they opportunistically take advantage yes. of different so for instance if it's the saudi owned yeah. press yeah. they're excited about the critique of iran yeah. in the in the protests exactly um, the other side is is excited when it becomes a condemnation of america yes exactly. you know yeah. and and american intervention and all this type of stuff so yeah. it's it's a very it's almost like nobody none of these media entities none of these media enterprises are are committed to 
telling the the, the truth story. and the real story yeah. as it is yeah. it's either the lens sectarian, of Iraqis. Yeah, it's either sectarian or one one side against the other, or it's like it's they have their own um, they have their own you know the checklist, mm-hmm. and they if it doesn't check that list, then they won't talk about it. But if it ch- if if it can turn it into something sectarian, then let's talk mm-hmm. about it. If it if it turns into something anti-imperialist, let's talk about it. If it's anti-Iran, then let's talk. Mm-hmm. But but there's nothing that take the actual truth that's what's happening on the ground, which is a very, um, a very uh, civil kind of um, revolution that is uh, completely by the youth. And it's like, it, those, those are kids, literally, but they are changing the history of this country mm-hmm. that has been into so much turmoil and so many wars. And they are, they are losing lots of lives, but they are still there. Mm-hmm. And they are against ev- any kind of intervention of any, like, wh- whether it's... From so, any side. From any side. I mean, the, 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 the most popular chant they have is, um, is uh, you know, Dam an Alabu Iran, Labu America, which is like Dam American, Dam Iran, something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to, yeah. you know, it's, it's a very specific kind yeah. of, you can't translate it, but... So they don't. They don't really care about any intervention. They don't want intervention. They want a decision that is completely Iraqi, and they want to live. They really want to live. They are tired of being the ground for proxy wars. They tr- they they're tired of being the place where anyone who wants to fight anyone comes in and fight, mm. you know, and they lose their life for for literally nothing. Mm. This is you know this is where you sort of come into the picture. So here you are living in Vancouver, away from Iraq for 27 years, um, but always with Iraq on your mind, contemplating, thinking, reflecting, expressing and feeling nostalgia on a daily basis. You know, <laughs> I know this from, from, your, from your other work. Um, and, uh, and, and, and sort of longing to make that trip back. And you sort of plan for a trip. Yes. And then... Somehow things get yeah. So I what what happened is um, after twenty seven years I realized that it's time to go back. Um, I was just feeling that there's something missing. My my whole twenty seven years that I, I I lived outside, there was always something missing. And you know when you when you get in, you you talk yourself out of it and you keep you know and then you get into a certain age and like you know what you need to make peace out with this. So my trip was uh, you know I I just wanted to go and see what happens. I had a movie in my mind. I had certain things in my mind. I you know I thought maybe if I don't get a movie I'll write about it, or not. I just want to make some kind of peace mm. with that part of my life and um, and I booked my flight and then the revolution happened literally a week after everybody after your booking after, after you my booking and that was so I'm talking about the first wave of revolution which was um, the October 1st where uh, where people were killed by snipers so it was extremely dangerous so of course my family went crazy my friends calling me telling me not to go and I was like you know what I think it's a calling that's it there's something calling me to go. Uh, I was scared, shitless. really scared. <laughs> kind of shitless, yeah. Okay, can we say that? Yeah, you can say it. <laughs> you can be scared shitless. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was really scared. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not at all claiming that I was, I'm, I'm brave or anything, but it was, I felt that it happened for a reason. And, 
and it's not for me. It, like I don't. I'm not saying that this happened for me, but I felt that the this is something. Timing yeah, is, the timing. Right for you. Of me thinking of that trip at this time, it means something. So I decided to go, and I I don't regret it at all. Mm. It was the most amazing thing I've ever done. I had so many ideas before I go about what I'm gonna going to do, and one of them is going to my uh, to my old you know parents' house and going to my uh, see my school and you know these things I did nothing of that uh, the only thing I did is literally uh, just absorbing all that energy that was happening there and uh, I stayed as much as I can I stayed as close to the protest as I can uh, I went through I meant you know in Baghdad and but I went to the areas that I I did not go to when I was uh, when I was there, when I was, you know, um, young. Uh, so I left when I was 17. It's been a while, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, so I was like kind of discovering this place that I have a really strong history with, but I'm, I'm, I'm rediscovering it and I'm seeing something, I'm seeing, uh, I'm kind of finding a different, yeah, it's reconnecting, but finding a different also place in that old kind of mm. idea that I had. And it was amazing. Ground me, and it gave me so much hope. And I don't think I would have been so hopeful if I hadn't witnessed what, what's actually happening in the ground. Mm. Let's go to the ground. Yes. Let's try to understand a little bit more what's happening. So you spend, you know, approximately two weeks in Baghdad. And, you know, this is where you are completely sort of immersed in Tahrir, Sa'at Tahrir, mm. Tahrir Square. Tahrir Square of Baghdad, not that of Cairo, of course. And it's it's both interesting and compelling yeah. that all these different places that are being reclaimed by protesters were originally called Tahrir, that yeah. somehow the liberations from anti-colonial yes. kind of Absolutely. empires is really representative yeah. of how these youth movements envision themselves. So Tahrir, Tahrir Square in Baghdad becomes the epicenter of the revolutionary movement with other, you know, places around the country but you you walk into this space take us on a little bit of a, of a tour mm-hmm. of what that's like and some of the things that we expect to see or hear or smell like what are the sights and sounds of this place so the first the first day I went the first day I got and I, I landed in Baghdad <laughs> I was I was in the in the airplane and I was like you know I had this romantic idea about how I'm filming Baghdad from up and I'm seeing like the I saw nothing literally because because the 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 country is so polluted that you can't see anything. Mm. It's just like it's dust and and smoke basically. Mm. So that romantic uh, <laughs> romantic kind of entrance just got ruined. And then I I got into um, of course the, the the airport and I had that idea about you know. Now I had, I'll, oh, again, I'm going to have to, have to deal with the officers. Because mm. in my mind was like They're gonna, Saddam it's, it's, kind yes. of officers. They looked the same, exactly, which is very, very amazing, like with the mustaches and everything. Like it's, but they were very um, different. Mm. It was easier to deal with them. It's, it was simpler, I think. Or maybe I expected something that is more, I don't know. But it was simpler. It was simpler than I thought. And then I get into the taxi, and this taxi driver doesn't stop talking and joking the whole time. And I was just amazed of how much 
he has to say to someone who he's just met. Mm. He was so skinny and he was so tired. His face was so tired, but he's like, he, he wouldn't stop joking around. He was skinny that, I don't know, I think I told you about that. He sat in a way in his chair, like in his seat, like in his driving seat. That I don't know how, like he, his, his legs were like sat in, like he put his legs in a very like yoga kind of like. like contorting. Yeah, exactly. And I was looking at him and he, sa- he, he told me then that his, uh, he was 25 and I'm looking at him that, that he can't be 25. He's like, he looks like a tired 40 something mm. years old. And that's an indication of how much they've witnessed. And of course, once we, we got in the, the city, it was completely changed. Like I, I did not know anything mm. from the city. So chaotic. It was so, the, the, the streets were narrow, narrower because, because there was so many legal kind of... Um, like lanes that were... Uh, not, not, not just lanes. Uh, the, the sidewalks are built on and there's there are these makeshifts kind of uh, um, pedestrian walkways or stuff and 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 also like uh, shops and stuff mm. it's so chaotic it was so weird i've never i've i didn't expect that and and i didn't know like i didn't know what, where i am like i didn't recognize anything from the from the city although he 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 drove me through my neighborhood my own like old neighborhood and then after, you know, and then I went and I saw my, um, some of the family I have there. And at the same day, I went to Tahrir with my niece, my, my beloved niece. She's, she's crazy. She's, she decided to go back after 21 years. And she left when she was eight. So she doesn't know anything about the country, but she decided to go and live there. So she took me to Tahrir with a bunch of friends. Um, that day in Tahrir was really bad. There were lots of people killed in the, uh, well, they call it SWAT teams, but it's really militias. So there was a little bit of a grim kind of feel, and we went at night. So people were kind of trying to rest. They were trying to, you know, unwind because of all the, what they did, like, during the day. And there was lots of people died that uh, that day. Few people died, and it was kind of like, kind of took a toll on them. Yeah. So, so it wasn't what I expected. I was shocked, and I was really saddened, mm. uh, and I kind of cried the first time. And then, and even people who who were with me were like, "This is not what is usual usually uh, happening." And then we went back the next day. The next day, it was as if. And it's, it's so weird, and this is something that I saw repeatedly. So people die, they mourn them, and then all of a sudden they break into a song and they started like celebrating, so not celebrating in, in, but it's kind of like a... It's almost like celebrating defying, their life. Defying, yeah, and it's like defying all the, all what's happening. It's like we're alive, we, we want to stay alive and we want to prove that we're alive. We don't want to just, just sit down and mourn and, and cry. So you walk into Hair Square, you see like a line of um, vigils, and people are sitting. Yeah, candlelight. Can, yeah, candlelights, and for the for the people who were killed, and people are sitting down, and whomever wants to sit down will sit down and read the uh, Quran, and some people even read like um, a Bible, and and you, you see the first. I mean, when you go in, when you get into Tahrir Square, 
you see the first thing you see is a very big picture of Jesus, mm. really big, and then you have all like the the other kind of symbols of everything, literally. And you see the mandais, you see the um, uh, you see the like you see a, a a man walking with like his mandai kind of um, I don't know if you know mandais. No, what's it's a, it's a, a religion that uh, um, it's uh, it's a religion that they, they live uh, th- um, around the river because all their rituals are um, uh, you know are ma- you know they they've, they practice the religion the religion and rituals uh, with the water of the of of the river mm. they have a lot of like and they're um, they're, uh, they have a Bible. It's called Zabur. I don't know if you've heard about it. And uh, it, it's a very it's a very small religion, but it's uh, it's one of the Abrahamic religions. It's not it's not not Abrahamic. I don't know. I don't know why there's no Mandais anywhere else. But Iraq is like that. It's yeah. <laughs> kind of every possible. Yeah, exactly. So Mandais are like there were there were very few of them to begin with, and now they are even like. Few, yeah. really few of them. So, but you you find someone who's representing them. Mm-hmm. You find um, a, a priest who who's bringing his whole congregation, and they are kind of coming to um, to uh, present like food and and and, and donations and stuff, yeah. and showing support to the protesters. And you see the the you know the poor, the really really poor people, which is the the core of that revolution. And you see people who have, um, who are from like middle middle class and upper middle class, who don't stay usually in the, don't sleep, like because it's more of a sit-in than a protest. And uh, you walk around and people are cooking the whole time, um, singing, um, lighting visuals. There are tuk-tuk, you know, the yeah. the raksha kind of, uh, bringing people from the front line. Um, people who are injured or um, or faint from the fainted from the gas canisters, they bring them in to you know to get um, some medical uh, aid. Medical um, medical tents are everywhere, and you have you have two kind of headquarters for an entire square. You have the Turkish restaurant, which which they call Jabal Ahad. And you have, which and is a very, a it's, a, uh, it's a very tall building mm-hmm. that was uh, abandoned in 1991, I think, after the the, uh, the coalition, the forces, um, um, they bombed it, and it was kind of like abandoned, and it stayed abandoned all those years, because there was some kind of, um, like usual, there was some kind of uh, so like conflict about conflict. you know who would do what with it. So it just stayed like that. And October first, the the militias used it to 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 the snipers used it to kill the the protesters. So the the second wave in October twenty fifth, the protesters took over that building so that the snipers won't. Mm-hmm. So it became kind of a fort, the protection fort kind of fort Tahrir Square. And you have the uh, school. It's a it's a girls' school. Um, it's a, 
uh, Christian gold school, uh, girls' school. It's very, very old, one of the oldest schools in Baghdad. This school at the beginning, um, when the when the gas canisters were were thrown at the Tahir squares, when at Tahir Square, uh, the the protesters used to take the canisters and throw it in the school, so they can kind of push it away from them. And then one day the the fence just fell over because it's very old. So they went in and they took over. So it became a headquarter for uh, donations and uh, like any kind of clothes you have, um, the, the classrooms got like one for clothes, one for like uh, blankets and stuff, one for like medical kind of. Uh, it's like a supplies and, sub- kind and, and of, yeah, and warehouse. Yeah, exactly. Slash. And they built showers in them. So that protesters can come and take mm. a shower if they want, and you know, and go and and that is very protected kind of headquarter. People know, like people who manage it, know who's coming and who's going out. So you have these two, and these two kind of um, arrange with each other. Mm. And when the four, when the militia were close to Tahrir Square, so there is there is this uh, there's there's a bridge. That cuts that goes into Tahrir Square from the green zone. Um, that bridge uh, was cut by the, you know, by the government, so that um, the protesters don't go in. And they kept pushing and pushing until they 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 uh, the protesters controlled about um, two thirds of the of the bridge, and stayed there and built kind of. Uh, like a barricade. Uh, a barricade. They call it satyr, and they they're just literally living on it. And and this is the front. This is where where um, Tahrir Square gets protected. So so the gas doesn't get get into it. The the all like those uh, kind of nasty uh, clashes mm. don't get into Tahrir Square. So it became kind of a safe mm. place yeah. for people to. It became a sit-in place. So uh, the Turkish restaurant building okay. and the school, the school, they always coordinate between each other. And they tell each other with lasers if there's uh, something happening or not. They kind of signal to each other. It's, it's a very, very interesting thing. And those guys are very young. They are very, they're not political at all. But they lived in these streets, and they lived with those militias, and they know how they think. Mm. So they kind of move around them, and they're the only thing that they all are very insisting on is that we have to keep it um, peaceful. Although they can, I mean, I mean, there are shops for uh, that sells um, guns in Iraq. In, in Baghdad in particular, there are, but they don't, they can obtain yeah. a gun, but they don't, and they they are, peaceful resistance is their, is their way to go. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's amazing. It, I mean, it, it certainly sounds incredible. Uh, you, I'm going to take you out of this Tahrir to another Tahrir and then bring you back to this Tahrir. When you spend time in Egypt um, following and documenting and writing about the Egyptian revolution, um, you probably never thought that there would be a moment where you would no. see uh, 
Uh, yeah, popular uprising in, in your own country, driven by youth. I mean, along the same sort of lines, yeah. you know. Um, but you did. Yeah. And not only did it happen, you were there to witness it and, and, and to experience it. Um, tell me a little bit about the, the spirit of these of of the uprising in 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 Iraq like what's so you describe these people as predominantly young um what 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 is the reason behind their protests i mean i, I don't i'm not i don't mean to ask it in a simplistic way the way like yeah. the western media says oh why why are these people angry <laughs> you know but rather you know what's on their mind what are their aspirations what do they feel they can accomplish or are they simply rejecting everything that has existed already and even though the future is unknown they're willing to accept the unknown versus the known like what's what's on their mind what are their you know where, where are they taking this where do, where do they think it's going to go and I what's think, keeping that hope alive yeah, for them i think they're just tired and they don't have anything to lose anymore the country is really 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 tired uh, when you walk in baghdad in particular and the south, southern parts of the country in particular it's really, really neglected, intentionally, intentionally neglected, as if those who came to power are kind of taking revenge mm. from the country because at some point, whomever was ruling the country rejected them, mm. but they are taking their revenge on the people themselves. They really don't care. And you walk and you see like there are no services, nothing, like literally nothing, and there is so much chaos. And this is an oil-rich country. And it's, just it's one of, of the yeah, it's, it's one, one of, of the, the richest, richest countries, countries right? some of the largest reserves in the world. Exactly. So and they don't even live in the country. Hmm. They don't like their families are outside, and uh, they don't live, so they don't even know what's happening. Um, the revolution started. So Iraq has been in protesting for a very long time, but kind of different protest, and and they go in and 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 out of waves because it's been messed up for a very long time. But this time, how it happened is that in September, um, because there were no jobs, the employment rate is really, really high. And uh, the uh, people who are, um, who holds like high uh, education um, uh, degrees went into the streets to protest. And they kind of had to sit in. These are like the, the syndicates and uh, like in a cabot and, and things like that. No, no, no. It's just it's just people Prof- who are employed, uh, unemployed, unemployed, but have high higher education. Okay. So they st- stood in front of um, Ministry of Education for a sit-in for like f- they stayed there for forty-nine days, and nobody literally, the government didn't even look at them. And one day they went and they uh, opened. Um, they just got tired of them, you know. They uh, they hit them. They they were brut- they brutalized them basically, and just you know hell just broke. Okay. Yeah, just, and and then they decided to go to Tahrir Square, and once in Trish to Tahrir Square, and the snipers started. That's it. You have you you literally unleashed a whole revolution. So they thought that they would kill that by brutalizing, but what happened is exactly the opposite. So un- uh, very very. Um, High unemployment rate, uh, really, really, really bad services. There are no services, basically. People are paying uh, paying from their own money to get like private kind of suppliers of uh, water and of uh, electricity. And people who can't afford that, they, and it's like most of the country can't mm. afford that. 
and uh, and also the like the the open kind of militia brutality in the streets like they can abduct anyone they can kill anyone you can't say anything against any kind of um, political faction we have or they have this saying Taj Rasek you can't talk about Taj Rasek Taj Rasek everyone has a crown of your head everyone has a crown Everyone has a personality who they think it's a crown over everybody's head yeah. and nobody can touch them. They are the untouchables. And they can kill and abduct and do whatever they want because nobody is saying anything to them. Uh, so people, people got tired. And this, especially this generation, they are not their parents. Their parents lived through Saddam's era and they were raised in fear. And then the the and then they saw the civil war. So they are they are they are they lived through through a lot of fear. This generation just broke out of all of this, and also they are the generation who is watching what's happening around them in the countries around them. So when they want to, let's say, have a vacation somewhere, because they don't really have the means, but they you know they want to go out. They go to Turkey, let's say, and Turkey is, and is, you know, it, it's ruled by the Islamic, yeah, yeah. right? And they look at it, and it's like this open country. So why are we not like them? They go to Iran, which is like the the you know the Islamic Republic, the Islamic Republic that we are supposed to like the Iraqi Iraq is supposed to be built according it's to them. It's a mere image of that. But, but they have services and they exactly have they have everything they can, and they are also more open. Yeah. They go to Lebanon, it's different. Even if Lebanon has the same kind of messed up, um, corrupt system. But it's different. It's different. And they decided that, you know what? We have nothing to lose. That's it. We need to to break all of this and we need to change it. Mm. And it's up to us. So So the rulers are from a complete different generation that is dealing with the things in a very, very classic kind of Arab way, mm. if we can say that, yeah. of Middle Eastern way. And not just Arab, it's like Middle Eastern kind of, like brutalize them and they will go home. Like it doesn't work that way. And it's the same, uh, the same um, uh, accusations that they, lo- they used even in Egypt. Um, you know, um, they are paid by, by whomever, like agendat, yeah. you know. Um, foreign agendas. Foreign agendas. And uh, whatever, and then they they go to, of course into the morals of the, the like uh, girls and boys are doing whatever you know in the, but they they really don't care. Those kids don't care. Mm. And then you have someone who's like Sadr, mm. who who thought that he has like the biggest base in Iraq, and I have to say that he's the darling of the left of the American left. They love him for some reason because he's the resistant, you know, the resisting kind of, uh, well, he's not <laughs> really, really, like he, he resisted Iraqis more than anyone else. <laughs> but anyway, so this guy thought that he had it. He had everything under control. And at the beginning, he kind of, although he had six ministries and the government was in his hand, he was um, hijacking the, the revolution. Mm. When I went into Tahrir Squares, people were talking between them themselves. Like, we know he's here. We know his guys are here, but we're giving him a chance. Let's see. Let's see what, where are they going to go. He kind of flirted with um, 
with uh, civilians. Not just civilians. It's like the Tayar uh, al-Madani. The, the civil groups. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Civil he flirt- society. He flirted with those. He did like, uh, you know, things here and there. And so um, he flirted with, with some kind of personalities that are representative of the secular. But people didn't buy it. But they let him be. And then when when uh, the Suleimani assassination happened, he kind of flipped sides and he started talking, you know, about the resistance and the, and he decided to leave the protests. So he took all his uh, people from the protests. And the same night, the militias go in Nasriya and they kill so many people. And uh, Basra and Nasriya, and it, it was it was very clear that there was a betrayal. Mm. So from that day until now people who didn't dare to talk against Sadr are now talking they are telling stories that had happened because of Sadr militia because remember that guy is the f- he he unleashed the first militia ever in Iraq which is Jaish al Mahdi yeah this was uh, shortly after the American invasion exactly yeah which so is he, why he is such a darling to the anti-imperial anti-American exactly. like camp because exactly and from that militia all the other militias kind of yeah happened and then when isis started taking over territory then the militia model became the only way exactly yeah. yeah but, but it, it turned out that because people now are talking it turned out and now they are documents that were not shown before you, you see videos you see photos of what actually what they actually ha- mm. did now it's kind of coming public and this is not in the political sphere this is not in the media sphere this is people this mm. is like it's a really grassroots movement. So people are exposing them online and on Twitter and on Instagram, and they are talking about it. And now he lost so much of his base that he's losing his mind. He doesn't know what to do. And now he's trying to quell the protests. Exactly. You know, or trying to basically exactly. say that if there's going to be protests, there are rules for how yeah, the protests exactly. should be. So he's, he's known for being, uh, like he says one thing today and he changes the other day. He's known for that. And he kept doing that. And then when, when uh, a few days ago, um, uh, there was a, a, an attack on Najaf, a protest, which is the southern Iraq. Um, and then uh, and lots of people got killed. And he kind of now he wants to, um, to clear his side, although it's very well known that his militia actually is the one who was, who was kind of brutalized those guys. Uh, he wants to clear his side, so he went to uh, Tahrir Square and he gathered few people. Nobody, nobody gave them the. They don't represent all. Gathered few people, and he uh, came out with this wathiqat um, islah, like the. the like a. Yeah, I don't know. Document. Document or whatever. Reform. Reform, reform document. Manifesto yeah. or something like that. And one of the, the reforms kind of that he came came up with is that there has to be a segregation between men and women. And women has to has to wear veils. So women has to wear veils and uh, there has to be segregation between men and women in the protest. And of course he became the biggest joke. Now men are, are taking their pictures wearing the veils and, and women are taking their pictures taking like... Uh, having mustaches, he became a joke. Now he's the biggest joke now in the between those young um, protesters, mm. especially the students. The students' movement 
has been the movement of By the students, we're talking about what age group or which... Uh, From high school to university. Okay. Yeah. High, high school to university. So there's high school students coming Yes, out. and that was one of the things that they kind of like... Um, wanted to villainize the protest because of it because those are kids and you're talking kids into walking out of school or whatever but high school students have has have been really really strong especially the girls they literally broke uh, the school doors to go out and they mm. would go to another school and break the door and come and and get the, the students out because they're locked in and uh, one of the um, the most uh, kind of uh, joked about or became a meme kind of principal in a girls' school. Uh, he's a guy, and he's standing outside talking to the girls, and he's telling them, like, this is shameful, what are you doing? And he's doing it in a very funny way, kind of like his voice is really, like, high pitch. And he became, like, the biggest joke in the country until now. And it, um, it just showed you, shows you how women who are students in particular yeah. has been really, really a strong, um, strong part. It's 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 a front. It's literally a front in, the, in this uprising, in this revolution. So you talked about the generation that's basically at the front lines and really pushing this revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, you um, you mentioned uh, their what what drives them and motivates them, um, and then you also mentioned that uh, women are are disproportionately well re- represented yeah. compared to many other protest movements, especially in Iraq, where the expectation is that. You know, all the, all the forces possible are infringing on women's participation. Yes, exactly. And yet they are extremely active and very involved. Tell us a little bit about what role, uh, not that we expect women to play a, a very distinct role, but what tell us a little bit about the kind of women that you met in Tahrir mm. Square. Who are they? What types of people are they? What was your interaction like? What kept, what kept them going? Yeah. So the first thing that happened, uh, so... Uh, there are there are different kind of um, different representation of women in the in the high square, but women has been there from the first day. The poor areas in in Baghdad, uh, specifically, uh, what we call Medina, which is which is which is where Sadr is, mm-hmm. the, that 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 place. It's a it's like they have like five or f- I'm not sure exactly how much. It's between five and four million people live in that. It's not a little. It's it's a neighborhood. It's a neighborhood, yeah. it's a neighborhood in um, in Iraq. But very dense. Very it's dense very area. dense. It's um, for a, for a long time it was kind of the slum. So those people are really like they've been brutalized by all rulers, and at the same time they've been really like taking all the toll, and everything. So Saddam came, call it uh, Saddam City. Sadr came, call it Sadr City. You know, it's like everyone who comes, he wants to kind of control that part. Most of the people who, the poor people, and the tuk-tuk um, uh, drivers in particular are from mm-hmm. Medina. They call it Medina. They don't call it Sadr. Yeah. They don't call it, uh, they it's call it the city, Medina. To, to, to make sure that just nobody claims Exactly. That. Those guys are the guys who are staying in Tahrir Square. And those guys come with their mother, mothers. Their mothers cook. For the protesters, they wash their clothes, and they are kind of the maternal of. They're always there, and they are the maternal kind of spirit in the, in the in Tahrir Square, and not not only in Tahrir. And I, I know I'm focusing on Tahrir because I was in Tahrir. I didn't see the other, but there are really like 
there are even more amazing things happening outside, like in, in other uh, cities. Yeah. Especially that those cities are more conservative or or controlled by conservative militias more. So the resistance is even more difficult. Exactly, and they, and they are losing lots of lives even more than Baghdad. Uh, so the maternal kind of uh, spirit of the protest were those mothers mm. who are who are always cooking and washing the clothes and taking care of of kind of like uh, you know like uh, just like what they do at home mm. okay and lots of those kids also were raised by their mothers without their dads because lots of them lost their dads in the in the civil war and in in the all kind of wars that uh, and the abduction and the killing and everything. Yeah. So they were raised by their mothers. So their mothers for them is like a big deal. They were raised by them. Yes. So uh, their existence in Tahrir Square or in any kind of protests is very, very important. Uh, one of the things that they've, they, they used to do is that sometimes, you know, the little... Kids who are like 14, 15, they get too emotional when they, you know, their friend gets hit or they're killed and they go and they want to, you know, to get kind of like a clash with the, with the, with the armed militias. The mothers were the ones who bring them back. Mm. They would go like, they would kind of take like a group of mothers and they would go to them and they, they would bring them back. And that's the only way you can bring them back. So there's kind of like this, mm. this, organization kind of thing to basically control them from being too impulsive exactly something that might hurt them or hurt hurt the movement exactly and it's only the mothers who can do that so but what so the the reason why i'm asking this particular question is that we there's so many instances where uh, when these uprisings and revolutions across the region where the mothers actually play the opposite role yeah i know the mothers become so protectionist and so uh sort of imposing on their their young yeah. you know their young sons and daughters to ensure their non-participation yeah. for fear that it poses an existential threat yeah. for them what is it about the state that iraq maybe the state that iraq has reached or maybe uh, the fact that these mothers believe that there's just no way out you know i don't know what what why do you think these mothers are more inclined you're a mother yeah. like what makes you what makes you imagine or think that these mothers are are watching their sons and daughters yeah. go out into the street and they're not only just allowing it and, f- and facilitating it but they too are participating that it's yeah. almost like a family affair it's a family affair it's exactly yeah. a family affair um um i think it's just the, the amount of of death that they mm. they've witnessed the amount of loss it's like you know what this is the our last yeah. our last fight that's it it's either we live in the way that we think we should live, or that's it, let's all die. You know, it's like you have no other option. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there are the protective mothers, and there yes. are, the, of course, of there course. are, but, but when you reach the point of like you have nothing to lose, so, and remember, those mothers already lost their husbands, they lost their brothers, and they, they might even lost their kids, mm-hmm. like one or two kids. And they have, you know, the, the, they have like left with one or two or, or, or even three. It doesn't matter. But they, they're, they're in the streets with their kids and they decided to fight oh, their last fight, basically. Mm. And then the, the, the breaking point was when, when, how women started being not just the mothers, 
the like the young woman started being part of the the, the revolution is when uh, the government called for a curfew at the beginning of the uh, like uh, I think on the twenty sixth or twenty seventh I don't remember exactly the date of, uh, of of October of October okay so it's fairly early on yeah 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 they called for a curfew and they said like nobody can leave and then all of a sudden when it hits the I think the curfew was twelve. Um, at 12 o'clock in the, at night, something like that. And then all of a sudden you see like the whole city was literally in the streets having like a, a, a carnival, a festival of like singing and, and families were outside, like literally blocking the streets with their cars and they were like driving to Tahrir. I don't know what compelled them to do that, but I think it is because they knew this is their last fight and they, they are collectively tired of it. Uh, so you don't see that, you know, oh, no, let's wait and see. No, there's no, there's no wait anymore. Wait. That's it. We're, we're reached our, the point that there's nothing after that. And so that was the first time that lots of young women in large numbers yes. were... were that, outside. That seal was broken. Yes, that the they, seal was broken and families started going to Tahrir mm. Square and it became kind of a festival. Uh, that was like the first, I think, the first two weeks of the um, of the revolution, and then after that, that's it. Now you have, and then you have the student movement that started happening. So you have the general strike of the students in particular, and women were like the first actually to do the strike as students, and then everything kind of, and they they dis, they they realize that if women are there, then they are more protected the militias are less likely to... Exactly. Return. Because the, it, it's because it's it's going to be very embarrassing for them to to hurt women. Yes. So the women became the protection, kind of. Mm. And women realized that, that they have the power, mm. and they have the power to change things. And then since that, they were they never went back. When, when we used to go, like... I had a group of of, uh, of women friends that we used to go. Like we were, there was four of us. We all live outside of Iraq, and we used to go as a group to Tahrir. Every time we go and see our friends there, they tell us um, they tell us like, um, please keep coming because we we have this. Uh, we feel better when you're here. And and then I started hearing it from other women. They're they're you know they're telling them. They're telling them that because they feel that you know they're heard, yeah. um, that people care about them. Women's presence in the protest is really, really important. Mm. And of course, you have, so you have the students, you have the mothers, you have people like me who want to, you know. I always tell them like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, the what do you call it, the the tourists. You know the, the 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 revolution the revolution tourist <laughs> like I don't because because at the end of of the day I'm going back to my you know my safe home and they're the ones who yeah. are um, and there are people who, who there are the document the document document ugh. documentarians the documentarians exactly you know they do the they take pictures and they take photos and they do movies and everything you have the medical aid uh, mostly are women. And they've been into a very, very um, dangerous places. And you have the activists, of course. And they have their tents. Like, they have tents, activists, kind of women rights, and whatever. And they always you'd see them yeah. standing outside and, you know, um, kind of uh, talking about discussing women's rights and everything. 
So you have all these uh, these different kind of women, and you have the women who are wearing veil, women who are not, um, young, old, everything. Mm. So they've, they, they have been driving, and they were the ones who started the, the first um, the higher education you know, students strike at the, uh, at the, in the front of the sit-in, in front of the mystery. They, they were women. Mm. And that's how it all started, because they hit the women. Yes. And that's why... They violated went, the women. So exactly. So it went nuts. Everything went nuts. So, and, and, and it seems like every attempt at using violence and brutality to scare away the women protesters has backfired. Backfired. So they continue backfired to come out horribly. in large numbers. They continue yes. to be at the front lines. Yes. They continue to be, to play the role of medics even yes. for like live the use of like live ammunition yeah. and gunshots and stuff like Although that. Although the first uh, the first person who was killed like killed in the twenty fifth the next second wave of mm. the protest was a woman mm. in Basra. She was assassinated with her husband. Uh, she was um, uh, an activist. Mm. She was assassinated in her home. And then the first person who was abducted was also a woman in Tahrir Square. And of course you hear all these horrible, because they have to, after they abduct the person or kill them, they have to give you these like horrible stories about what they did to them before, you know, to scare everyone away. But it just kept coming and coming as if, you know, you know what, we have nothing to lose, that's it. Especially that in 2018, there was a wave of killing women. and, uh, and lots of women got scared, especially women who are you know, known in social media yeah. or whatever. Yeah. They got scared and they, some of them left the country. So it's kind of like uh, they felt they were threatened the whole time, most of the time. Yeah. So why hide? That's it. We are, they're going to get us anywhere. So yeah, it's, 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 it's the last fight for everyone, basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, you either you either put everything in front of in front of fate, yeah, exactly, or you accept the status quo indefinitely. Like Ex- there's just no exactly. there's no turning back. Exactly. Um, tell me a little bit about the various other aspects of this revolution and how it's affecting and impacting society from a cultural standpoint. So. I mean, the political, we understand, this is sort of a rejection of the political status quo. It's a rejection of American interference and occupation and imperialism, etc. It's also opposed to Iranian mm-hmm. involvement and the, and the militarization kind of, of, of society. And it's and also kind of, a, um, kind of an occupation. Yeah. We have an Iranian occupation. Exactly. exactly. So it's almost like these overlapping kind yeah. of occupation spaces. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the turning... Of, into, of every part of Iraqi life into militarized yes, kind of existence absolutely. and securitization. So there's a rejection of all of that. But then there's also uh, like a social and cultural dimension. Yeah. Um, so I want you to maybe tell us a little bit about, about that. What is this social cultural environment that these young people are creating yeah. or carving out for themselves yeah. and what does it say about Iraq that they're imagining yeah. or hope to envision so um, there are so much creativity that kind of explode in this revolution as if this revolution gave uh, everyone a platform 
to present something. And there was so much um, art and uh, they, they kind of turned the protests into a production kind of houses, let's say, literally. So you have a friend of mine who's, uh, who's by the way, in, is in the, in the film that I'm doing. He's a, he's a graffiti artist. And he called for all graffiti artists to come down and start painting the walls. And it's as if they were waiting for it, you know. They went down with numbers and they are still doing it everywhere, like across Iraq, uh, just painting the walls. That there was, there, there, there was no walls left, that they started kind of taking over, <laughs> taking over each other. And um, it became like this big um, open air gallery, mm. not just for graffiti, but installations even installations, um, all kind of art. It was, it's, it's incredible. And you have also, uh, it's, a, it's a very cultural kind of revolution. And every, every protest, uh, every like um, square um, across the country, you have at least two tents for books where you can sit down and read books. It's like a library. One of the libraries in Basra uh, had uh, a thousand and a th which it's it's a very f funny number because it, it reminds me of a uh, thousand night and one night. It's a thousand and a hundred books in a tent, and the militias burned it out. So the second the next day they literally built it like they built without the, instead of the tent, they built with bricks. With bricks. Uh, yeah. and that's what they did in Nasriya too after they they um, they burned their tents, they built it with bricks. Uh, and they, they, they donated the books and they kind of revived the, the library again. So in Tahrir Square you have uh, one, ten, one, one library in, uh, in the Turkish restaurant. You have two libraries, two tents on the ground where you can sit down and, and read. And you, ha you can see uh, like uh, writers and artists and mm -hmm. just walking around. And you have, of course, the, the, the art kind of museum. And there's also the music. And there's film. And there is theater. So these are so all things that are theaters. happening simultaneously in the, in the square. Yes. Films in, square, in all squares. In all of. squares. Yeah. Films being screened. Yes. Uh, you have exhibition spaces. Exactly. Uh, exhibition spaces are literally open everywhere, air, yeah, like it's yeah. everywhere. Uh, artists would put their uh, their you know their work, their paint. They they paint like on canvas. Recitals, recital poetry, recitals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, every, everybody is a poet. Everybody in Iraq, is a poet yeah. in Iraq. <laughs> literally everybody. So they talk in poetry, and they, like, it's just <laughs> just crazy. But like in terms of like actual art, um, they would paint canvases and they kind of put it like an open air kind of uh, yeah. paintings. And of course, you have the graffiti. You have installations. There, one guy did the installation of like what passed um, the, the history of Iraq, the history of modern Iraq with like chairs, and every chair represents something. And you you walk through like you're walking through museum literally, and then you have uh, the t a tent for uh, uh, to show films, independent films. And usually you meet the person who made the film, and you discuss the film with them Q and A and and, mm. and that. And These are all things that would have been otherwise completely absent. You wouldn't see that. Like, where would you go? Exactly. No, just prior, prior to this revolution, 
these people would not have repurposed their lives in that way. Like no, they, of course not. It's it's so, very different. It's a, it's a different platform, kind yeah. of. It's a very very different platform. Like you're literally meeting these people face to face, and you can take mm-hmm. talk to them, and you see their work, without you having to seek, you know, go to to anywhere. Like you, you don't have to buy the film. You don't have to, and these films are not. And of course, the 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 industry or the production. Uh, industry and the marketing and whatever in Iraq is really for these things is really not is absent and it's also corrupt mm. like if you want to see to, to start any kind of project to um, to do any kind of cultural uh, movement cultural um, activity usually one of the There's red tape and, and yeah and they would and they would they would hijack it if it yeah. has money if it brings money then they would hijack it mm. The political. Uh, so this is all entirely independent, fo- totally exactly. alternative. Everybody's spending their own money to do things. Exactly. The, exactly. The the, the donations uh, that are coming from people, literally from from the people who are in Iraq and outside of Iraq, are what's keeping all of this happening. Mm. And uh, the 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 tent, the cinema tent. Uh, was done by a group of uh, of uh, kind of filmmakers. And they started showing the films, and they they have uh, a film. For, they have a, a day for like uh, short films. They have a day for like film films that are done by women directors, and it's like that. And they will Q and A, and they will talk. You have the theater also. Theater um, every day. You have a different uh, play mm. by different uh, different director or different actors. Um, and you have also the music, which has been really a remarkable kind of movement. So the music production is, it became kind of, um, they would produce music and video clips in the protest itself. So you, you completely, and they would use pro- protesters, actual protesters, to represent themselves basically mm-hmm. in these clips. So you watch the clip and you see the the protests basically, and it's and those songs became so popular that you when you walk you you hear them and you and they they talk about them, um, and it's not you know shiny and and what's and, an example and polished. The language um, actually, which which is a reference. Um, it means a crooked tail, and it 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 reference. It, there became a um, a term that they call whomever is um, uh, tied to political kind of uh, parties and uh, and, of and of course that something. means Iran. Okay. Basically. So like pro- the proxies of that country. Exactly. So the tail is the proxy. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because it follows, right? It yeah. follows, uh, you know, it follows everywhere. The tail, yeah. whomever has a tail, <laughs> it follows them everywhere. So that's so it's a crooked tail. It's not yeah. even, uh, you know, the good kind of tail. <laughs> So that was one of the really, really popular songs, and uh, they filmed it in Tahrir Square. And uh, there are so many versions of it. Um, and uh, the other one is Hajanjali Bajanjali. Hajanjali Bajanjali is, there's no, no meaning for that word, in partic- for these words in particular. It just takes after a, a, um, a, a kid's songs, like uh, from childhood that when we play, we used to yeah. sing. Almost like an Iraqi folkloric nursery. Exactly, rhyme. exactly. Okay. But of course, they changed the 
the words. Uh, they adapted that term. But it's a known song that it's been readapted, so most Iraqis would know the. The Hajjanjali, Bajjanjali part, yes, okay. and then they just added something to, you know, added more like tunes and stuff to mm. to the song, that became very very popular too. Um, lots of song, lots of things happened. Like lots of music was produced there. Oh, uh, Bella Ciao, of course, the Iraqi version of Bella Ciao. Uh, that was sang in Tahrir Square, and then was filmed again. Now it's it's also became. Uh, and there is uh, the poetry um, videos for poetry, like people in Tahrir Square while they are mm. getting you know hit with tear gas and everything. They are reciting poetry, which is crazy i don't know how they do it but yeah. it's crazy there's there's a, a very famous guy who used to sing holding his phone while the fight is happening behind him he became very famous for it uh yeah so it's kind of like a a, a whole cultural it became cultural hubs to all like the protest became a cultural hub and different cultural hubs in different cities so uh, when you're in tahrir square you're sort of surrounded by all these like sights and sounds and experiences. Everything yeah. from like the tuk-tuk, like driving by, yeah. carrying somebody who's injured, yeah. or and then and then there's like someone drawing graffiti on the wall, yeah. and then there's somewhere else where there's a song or people chanting something, and you're basically yeah. kind of surrounded by yeah. all of these types of, uh, yeah, of experiences. And someone will come to you and give you a free meal. Yeah. All of a sudden, like just shoved yeah. in your face and like, <laughs> you know, like eat, eat. It's it's cold and you're hungry and you know. The protesters called it the Tahrir Dawla, Tahrir um, State. State. Yeah. It's, it's literally when you walk in, you're the safest. Everybody takes care of you, and you feel heard. And 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 it's it's very very interesting that there has been no uh, reported uh, harassment for women in particular, at all. Mm. Uh, actually, I felt the safest in Tahrir Square. They they are more like if, like I, I was, I was uh, filming one time and I went, because of course the, the, the sidewalks and everything is broken, like it's, so I stepped on a pipe and I was kind of, like it wasn't a big deal, I was going kind of like going to to trip. And like five guys were like ready to, to like to, you know, to just, oh, be careful, whatever, and I'm like, I'm okay, <laughs> don't, don't worry. It's like, so you feel protected the whole time. Mm. Like, it's, um, and so that's not just for with women, with men too. Mm. There's this kind of solidarity with everyone. Everyone is kind of taking care of everyone. And don't forget, those, most of those guys are really, really poor, and they haven't been heard before. They were always, always put on the side. So they finally feel that they are heard, they are seen, and they want to keep that. Mm. So, yeah. It's, it's almost as if everything that this actual state failed to deliver. Exactly. The, the exactly. people of Iraq, as sort of embodied by this Absolutely. space, have recreated the, what they imagine would be the ideal Absolutely. or preferred state of being. And they make, yes. it, they yeah. make it so. They clean the place every day. They clean it. They... They they even put plants, they uh, they cleaned the um, the beach, mm. the beach that they were they were not allowed to go to, because it it uh, it's across from the green zone, 
So they, they went in and they cleaned it over and they put volleyball nets yeah. and they played um, um, men and women, they played together and they would sit down and, and have picnics and have barbecue and sing. And it's just, you know, it's kind of a utopian mm. kind of place. Um, and they know they can't keep that for a, for a very long time. But since they are there, they're going to keep it as long they're as they can. Make, the, make yeah, as much exactly, use of it yeah. as they can. Um, so it sounds to me like they're, through the art and the expression and the film and the music and all of this creative production, that a lot of taboos yes, absolutely. are being shattered. And those taboos are reinforced by the political elite and the religious yes. elite. Tell me a little bit about what those, like what some of those taboos are that are no longer taken seriously by the protesters or they dismiss outright. You mentioned them in a way, yeah. it's like gender segregation business that's yeah. just kind of done. Yeah. Is there anything else that comes to mind? Uh, so, of course, uh, the gender segregation, the women and, you know, and men kind of uh, mix together, which is very funny because um, before 2003, it was very normal that mm-hmm. men and women mixed together. Okay. You know, the American liberation brought us to to not be mixed together, which is very funny. The religious kind of ideas, everyone inside of them, they knew that they didn't like it. They but as if... The, like the sectarian aspect? This, or the what? sectarian aspect is completely done. Yeah. Completely. They, so nobody asks anybody... Like, nobody asks at all. Them. And it's and if you ask, like people will look at you like, you're strange, you're, you're weird. And it, and they, you'd see people saying, like, this is this is done. The sectarian part is completely done. And this is not something new. It's been happening for a while. But in this revolution, it just came to be very clear mm-hmm. that sectarian of not just the uh, sectarian and religious. Kind of, so there's no uh, uh, Christian versus Muslim, mm-hmm. no uh, Sunni versus Shia. This is all gone. Very The, the religious kind of figures mm-hmm. also are broken. The, the Exactly. The, the crown of your head, kind yeah. of, it's broken, kind of. It's not kind of, it's broken completely. So nobody is out of question. Nobody is out of, uh, out of uh, uh, criticism. Everybody can be criticized. Anybody can be criticized. Um, even pro, pro-protests, if they do, if they, have a, like a, if, if they have some kind of problematic statements or whatever, they will criticize them. They, mm-hmm. they don't have any... Like, there are no, no leaders. Nobody is holy. Nobody is holy, no leaders, nothing. Perhaps even God, too. Even God, exactly. These, these, these um, ideas are, are, been, are been discussed all over. Like, if you don't believe in God, it's fine. I don't, I don't care. These are really, like, everybody is, is talking about them, and it's okay. It's not a taboo anymore. And one of the very interesting things is that, which, which is not which I always find um, the, middle, the Middle Eastern, uh, not just media, the social media, let's say, always ask about, mm-hmm. is that why are they holding, you always see the flag of Hussein, which is a very uh, Shia thing to do, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's like, it's very Shia religious symbol. But they actually turned it into something that is not religious at all, which is very interesting. So they turned even the religious symbolism into something that is non-religious so they are telling them like you always tell us that she that hussein is the is the you know was the revolutionary was the one who died for his right right so we're like him 
So you don't present Hussein anymore. We are the one who presents. Oh, so present appropriating exactly. or claiming that exactly. the symbol of resistance. So if a, if a Shia clerk or a religious clerk came out and say, you know, you're going against Hussein. No, you're the one who's going against Hussein. We're the one who are representing him. Mm. You know, so they kind of turn, they turn the table mm. on everything. So yeah, it's... Uh, the, so that's, that's a lot of really sort of foundational ideas and ideologies and perceptions and and cultural norms and uh, taboos that are being kind of like shattered yes. left and right yes. uh, from socially, politically, culturally, in terms of gender, in terms of ageism, like, you know, that sounds to me like every possible generation is yeah. involved. Yes, the youth are setting the agenda yeah. and setting the tone and, and demonstrating their incredible courage at, at such high cost, but still... It, it is, seems like it's a cross-cutting uh, movement that isn't limited to just youth. Um, so, you know, you found yourself in this space, in this moment, with this incredible experience. And, and now you're working on several projects. I mean, as a filmmaker and an artist uh, and a photographer and someone who, who's thinking of ways of of to uh, to bring this knowledge and bring this these experiences to audiences not just in Iraq but but worldwide because unfortunately Iraqis as we said in the very beginning are um, are are rarely get the opportunity to yeah. to to express themselves so you're in a position to bring that forth um, and now you're working on a film yes. uh, the, your first film or the, it's not your first film but your first film about this experience. Yeah. Uh, it's called Once Upon a Day in Tahrir. Uh, and the, the, the first screening, if you will, of the film is on March 4th, 2020, here in Vancouver at Simon Fraser University. Um, tell us a little bit about this film. and. So when I went, I didn't take... Because I went in a, a, little, bit of a, a little bit of a dangerous kind of time. So I didn't want, and I was scared because I'm not that brave. <laughs> so I didn't take... Over time, I'm sure you're bravery, <laughs> watching other people. Exactly, being too brave. So I didn't take, and filming was a little bit like, uh, people still are, you know, a bit worried of it. Yeah. But over time, it became something that is very, very normal. Everyone is filming right now. Uh, but at the beginning, when I was there, There's people so were not sure yeah. about it. So I filmed with my phone with my iPhone. So it's not a big kind of production with like the latest kind of, you know, equipments. It's a very simple um, recording, let's say, of what I saw in there. That film in particular is a, is a short film, about 10 minutes, of almost um, an hour and a half of me and my friends basically going down to Tahrir Square to watch our friend drawing his graffiti on one of the walls. The film has no music, no. It's just the sounds of Tahrir. It's basically I'm taking I'm taking the I'm taking whomever is watching it in, through the walk with me. So no voiceovers. No voiceovers. No narration. Nothing. nothing. Just, just us pure walking sounds of the, exactly of the square. It's just us walking through Tahrir Square, going to the place where he's gonna do his um, mm-hmm. his uh, art, and whatever we saw in the in the way. Uh, on the way to, you know, it's in the tunnel, um, inside the tunnel. Uh, so whatever we witnessed, it's captured on this movie. Um, it's it's a 10 minutes, but it's 
it's in a span of like an hour and a half almost. Um, yeah, and I just wanted people to to see it, to see how much they can see in just this an hour and a half. How much uh, how how much activity is happening around them, and how people are reacting to whatever is happening. Uh, and it's just a small, really small fraction of of what you can actually see. Mm. This is a very small part of of what I have in terms of footage, uh, but I wanted to just, you know, bring Tahrir to Vancouver, mm-hmm. I guess. And hopefully audiences <laughs> elsewhere, hopefully, yeah. once the film is made available for others to watch. Um, and I think it, in some respects it's an attempt to disrupt the silence, yeah. but also at the same time let the square kind of speak for itself. Yeah. Or, or and, and that film, by the way, was, was not just filmed by me. It was filmed by different phones of my friends. So uh, so Shauq is mm. part of it. Uh, Shauq Ani, my niece. Your niece. And uh, a friend of mine, um, her name is Ansar. She's also, she also filmed a little bit. So we kind of brought all so the... So it's almost like a collaborative... It's a collaborative uh, work, work, yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we're very, very excited to see it. We're so remarkably encouraged. We know that, you know, it's never it's never straightforward and the path of any, you know, any revolution is, is twisting and winding yeah. and, and we can never tell what tomorrow will bring and there's almost... From the depths of tragedy, there's hope and from the highest hopes there's tragedy sometimes Absolutely. but nevertheless um, recognizing the the courage and the uh, and the remarkable creativity of, of the people of Iraq at this particular moment is is very much worthwhile so I want to sort of close with a couple of things just two sort of short questions the first is as an Iraqi who has often thought of what Iraq means to you Mm. Um, what does Iraq mean to you today versus any other time prior like what has this revolution done to your conception of what Iraq means Mm. as a country I think it's uh, it's a newfound um, it's a newfound love if you can if we can say that Uh, something that I always knew is there but I kind of ignored this is the statement not just for me I think it's for a lot of Iraqis who who thought that um, this country is hopeless. Nothing is going to happen. I think those this generation um, gave us all a lot of hope, and also gave us a little bit of a feel of like we didn't know how to do that. You know, mm. like it's an envy. We envy them because they could do what we couldn't do as a, you know, our generation couldn't do. Um, and there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of pride for sure. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, we see now people, you know, waving the Iraqi flag, but yeah. without. Uh, not, not in the same way that the state would rescuing or salvaging yeah. the flag and, yeah. and all these symbols, while they were problematic exactly. in their exactly. design, they're being reclaimed, like the Al-Hussein, the, exactly. the memory of Al-Hussein. Everything's when, being reclaimed. When you walk in Baghdad, you see flags everywhere. Mm. And they are in cars, they are around people's necks, in, in, in cafes, and ev- everywhere, literally. And uh, even the microbus uh, is has like flags and have like songs of the revolution blurring out. So mm. it's uh, it's really like a, a, a reviving of kind of a, a love for the country. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, Dima, I want to ask you about revolutionary amnesia. I'm not suggesting that, I mean, every, we have amnesia with everything, every mm. aspect of politics, but sometimes revolutions come and go and hopefully this won't go, but and it will be consecrated in society. Yeah. But... Um, 
we try to think back, you know, 20, 30 years down the line about what made a particular revolutionary moment memorable, worthwhile, and, uh, and should become iconic and drive mm-hmm. the way we understand these revolutionary movements. Mm-hmm. What do you, would you say is, the, is, in your opinion, the most iconic, most memorable? What message do you hope and dream will live on from this revolution? Not just for Iraqis, but for yeah. humanity at large. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's mostly the taboo that was broken around uh, women. Um, I think women created, not even like sometimes you hear the the word allowed or encouraged, but it's not it's not that. They created change. They literally created change. And I don't think that's going to go back. Uh, a very cynical friend in, in Baghdad told me, uh, he's a cynical feminist friend, but he's he's a bit, yeah, he's a bit too cynical. And he told me like, well, you'll see when the revolution is done, um, they'll all go back to the same old ways and we'll, they'll look at women as if, you know, they never did anything. My answer for him, because I witnessed it and I felt it as a woman, I told him that tomorrow when you know when the fin- when this revolution finished and you come and say something to a woman she'll tell you she'll she'll tell you by herself you know what i was there next to you taking all that tear, tear gas and getting shot at so you can't talk to me this way so it's kind of like they created change and they put their, themselves in the front and i think this generation has this solidarity also between men and women so men are not working against women, which, which is really, really amazing. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen later. I don't know if men can give all the privilege they have. But still, at this moment of time, I think this is remarkable. And I think this will last, at least on the women's part. Thank you, Dima, <laughs> for, for talking to us about you, your, your time in Tahrir and uh, your time going back to Iraq. I, I sincerely hope that your trips to Iraq will be plentiful in the coming days, weeks, months, and and years, and that uh, there will be a rendezvous of victory once this is all over. I hope so. Thank you for for the interview. Thank you, Adi. Thank you so much. You were listening to Dima Yassin, a Vancouver-based Iraqi artist and filmmaker, on her most recent trip to Iraq and Baghdad after 27 years of being away. This is Talas Elwada. You've been listening to Status Audio Magazine. The Status is produced by the Arab Studies Institute in partnership with Voices of the Middle East and North Africa, co-sponsored by George Mason University's Middle Eastern Studies Program and the American University of Beirut's Asfari Institute for Civil Society and Citizenship. Interested in pitching an interview, a program episode, or becoming a partner, Email our associate producer, Paola Messina, at paola at statushour.com To listen to more conversations, on-the-scene reports, and discussions, visit our website, statushour.com or subscribe via iTunes and listen to us on the go. You can also friend us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and for more conversations, please visit statushour.com dot com.